0: This message is brought to you by Do Not the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at Do Not and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L L A M A.
1: By using telemedicine, using the sensors on the phone and giving people the ability to do it from the comfort of their home they want to participate and in the research that we do typically the people that sign up they're incentivized either for their own personal health
0: because that's what this is for or helping humanity Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. My name is Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Well, this is the latest episode from the 2018 Body Computing Conference at the University of Southern California. My guest is Sean Vasileros. Sean is the Chief Operating Officer with Thread. Thread is a digital platform that allows healthcare providers and research organizations to carry out remote patient research without perhaps the need for the patient to attend an appointment at a clinic. Sean, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Hey, good morning. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. So tell us more about the work you do.
1: You kind of summarize it pretty well there, but I wanted to kind of take a step back and talk philosophically why we do what we do and then kind of d- dive into it a little bit further. I'd love so that, you to do that. that. May yeah. Explain it. Yeah. One of the things that we firmly believe is that we have the ability, we as humans have the ability to answer every human biological question at some point. Um, and because we don't have all that information, then treatment and care are not as great as they can and will be at some point. So, philosophically, we believe that that is now within our reach. And if you look at the reason why we believe that, look at the onset of health tech, right? All the the, the the volume of wearables, the amount of data one can cl- collect, the push to make sure that everyone has access to their own uh, medical records. Um, and we think that the the strength of computing power these days, which before was never seen before. Um, and so we think that the the time is right. We are now primed to be able to start using that technology to answer every human biological question. Now, it's lofty. I mean, that's I didn't say some.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a huge lofty goal, isn't it? Right. But it's what we aspire to.
1: And we believe that it's worth dedicating our lives to do. And so if if you start there and say we really legitimately care because by answering these questions, we're able to improve care. We're we're able to um, uh, add longevity. We're able to uh, predict and do preventative care better. And ultimately, even potentially do um, the doctor algorithm where we're literally using computers to be able to diagnose. We believe that that's a reality. But then, if you contrast that with a a statement by Dr. John Ioannidis out of Stanford, it's possible or it is more possible that a research claim is false than that it's true. That's a little disturbing, right? Think about that for a second. How many. Uh, uh, medical advancements and breakthroughs are are because of research claims. Um, now, of course, that is you know those claims are all made based on what they know at the time and the technologies available to them at the time. Uh, but our goal is to make sure that as researchers, you have at your fingertips, at your disposal, more information than you've ever had so that you can make better claims and conclusions. Which
0: is the the basis of, of all science, that you don't correct. just do one experiment. That correct. experiment has to be replicated and then built on. That's correct. And, and scientists have to at least support that original theory before it becomes anywhere close to becoming a fact and, right. and generally accepted. And at, it really only at that stage can it actually help you and I. That's correct.
1: Yeah, and so I want to be careful not to, to um, discredit claims, right? There's a lot of work, a lot of time, effort, and money put into those things, and 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 that's and it's amazing. We believe that, that uh, it's incredibly helpful. But if there's a chance for us to make that better, that's why we do what we do. And so when we kind of realized this, we took a step back and said, how do we help? Um, and if you remember a few years ago, um, Apple got into the – the health space with their announcement of health kit, right let's start gathering data and making it available to every iphone user a year later or maybe two years later they came out with a research kit which is the ability for every individual to anonymously give their data to researchers worldwide. And um, it has been an incredible hit. In my organization, we helped launch four of the first eight uh, research kit apps with with Apple. And so when we saw that announcement, we figured, hey, that's a space we want to to play heavily in. We want to help gather this data. We want to help and put patients at the center of gathering that data as opposed to uh, making it driven by academia or uh, pharma companies or or even uh, um, uh, clinicians. So.
0: so let's break it down in terms of what you're doing. How do you facilitate the gathering of that data?
1: Great question. So uh, we are technologists at heart. Um, we have uh, uh, spent uh, the last few years working on a uh, software as a service platform. So it's a uh, a technology that one can license. It's all cloud based, but it's HIPAA compliant. It's 21 CFR Part 11 compliant. It's it's one. It's a heavily validated, validated and and, uh, uh, system that is on the cloud that allows any researcher, right, to say, I have a hypothesis and I want to go and test it and put my hypothesis in the hands of a uh, a patient to see if that hypothesis is real. Now, I'm making it very simple, right? A hypothesis could end up being 50 surveys over 10 years and each survey has 7,000 questions, right? Um, But uh, at the very base level, it is we allow researchers to have a hypothesis. Um, we allow uh, pharma companies to have a molecule uh, or uh, whatever it may be that you want to test. We allow you to very quickly spin up a, uh, a study online. So basically, let's say that you want to perform a study and uh, you want to uh, you know ask a very simple question to a, a wide audience about um, uh, health and its impact on, on aging. Uh, in, in a very few minutes, we would give you a username and password to our platform. You would uh, fill out some information about your study, build a few surveys similar to like a, a SurveyMonkey, monkey, add what we call e These are device-reported outcomes where you use sensors, like you use a, a phone's sensor to measure uh, gait and balance, right? And then we connect to over 400 wearables with a click of a button. At the end of that, you press a button. It will generate an, uh, an iOS app. It'll generate your Android app. It'll generate your portal to manage and monitor the study. And if you're going to have clinicians participating in the study, it it develops a portal for them as well.
0: Just to to interact, first of all, you say researchers and you say, let's say, if you wanted to develop a study, do you mean literally anyone who wants to carry out an experiment or we're talking about researchers at a – yeah, university level as you know, good. With good point of clarification.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah. So um, I say you. I mean, the audience that that we typically work with are academia. They are. Um, f- uh, Biopharma, they are CROs, contract research organizations. So, yeah, you have to kind of go through and have uh, uh, an institutional review board like monitor this survey and uh, monitor the study. So, you have to go through all the appropriate steps.
0: In the same way as a university has rules and, and will monitor the studies correct. of its researchers. In, that in is terms correct. Of the, the the practices, the openness in terms of who's paying for it, all of these factors that come into the credibility of a study.
1: Yeah. And transparency and consent are really big deals. And that's one of the things that, um, that we get used for a lot is what we call our consent process. And so when I say consent, it means that you, as someone who's going to participate in the study, you know how your data is being used, who's collecting it, where it's being stored, how to get it back if you want it, how to get out of the study if you want. And these are all very heavily regulated statements that get made. And so our job is to make sure that a participant who goes through our consent process understands those things. We have a a process for education. We have a process for comprehension. Um, We ask them questions to make sure they know what they're talking about. They have to do a a full-on e-signature. And these things are all documented so that at the end of the day, you can say, hey, I, as a participant, I know what I'm signing up for. And then, and only then, can you get into the the study.
0: That's exactly what I was coming on to, because clearly, it's almost the first question that people ask Mm -hmm. when they're taking part in these electronic studies, where they're sharing information about their daily behavior, whether it's eating habits, exercise habits, or whatever it is, that uh, that data is going off to the cloud that you describe, and that they no longer have control of that data Correct. and that's the the huge, huge concern I think moving forward not only with the work that you do but so any researcher uh, that embraces big data and yep. big data is fantastic yes. but people are worried about what can be potentially done with that information. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, and you're, you're spot on there. Um, we get that concern. I mean, that is probably number one, um, biggest concern for all of all of our um, uh, the sponsors who use our, our our product is how do we ensure that the safety and the privacy of the customer data is intact? Um, and you know, being in research makes it a little bit easier than doing like a typical uh, commercial or clinical technology in that we don't collect any demography, right? We don't. Uh, any kind of identifiable information is automatically what we call tokenized. So we don't store any information. If you put into our app, your name is uh, Peter. We take that information and we scramble it and we don't store it. And it's and it's stored um, in a, a like a you know a thirty five character string or something like that where it can never be kind of uh, 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 translated. Um, and so, first and foremost, our job is to make sure that anything that's identifiable is what we call tokenized. Second of all, it's, it's in the cloud, and people are like, "Oh, my data, it's floating somewhere in the sky." Um, the the reality is, uh, we you know we work with only the best partners, and um, they are all, you know, certified to be able to handle and store and deal with that data. But it is one of the things that we take incredibly seriously is the privacy and security of our, our participants' data.
0: I was just wondering, maybe you could give me a, a couple of examples of, of the kind of research that you're talking yeah. about, just to, to bring this home to the people listening, the kind of science that is, is happening using this technology.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a few uh, kind of really fun examples. Uh, number one is actually today, um, if you know, for the, at the USC uh, Body Computing Conference, um, they are announcing the results of a study around the connected marine. Have you heard of
0: this? No, tell me.
1: Yeah, so basically what they did over um, the last six months is they used our technology um, and they put it on um, marines down at uh, camp pendleton and uh, what it was is as is, it's anonymous research um, and they wanted to get and try to see what kind of conclusions they can draw from this set of data and so the data that we captured was 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 health data right so heart rate steps stairs swimming all those kinds of health metrics right um, but on top of that we captured uh, baseline surveys but that captured kind of mood, personality, emotion. And on a daily basis, they had to take these kind of very non-scientific, right? Uh, surveys that were, when I say non-scientific, non-clinical that were, that they're not just about how many steps you took today. It's more about how do you feel today, right? And it's to assess and layer over the data, which shows how their body is. And then the, the survey questionnaires would show where they were emotionally and mentally. And these are people trying to get into a very, Tough program, and so you hear the horror stories of people going into like a special forces program. You know the success rate of those. Imagine the conclusions we're going to get of having now gone through this six month study or a series of, of studies, aggregating that data, and potentially seeing the difference in health and attitude between those that make it and don't. So that's that's one of the examples that I know they're going to be releasing the findings from that. I'm super excited to hear, even though it's on our tech. You know, we don't see the data, we don't touch the data. Um, I'm super excited to hear what they have to say about that. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. And you you raise another question in my mind when you say that people are asked to, whether it's Marines or whomever, to give an assessment of how they feel Mm -hmm. as opposed to a number on a thermometer or a a number on a a gadget that is very definitive. How you feel is very subjective and we all have different assessments. So I'm curious to the reliability of people's own assessments about their own (laughs) feelings in a particular moment. Right. I mean, that's
1: the biggest question, right? Patient interdata, how how reliable and valuable is it? Um, And so... You know kind of we, we have our more own opinions on it, but if you take um, a step back and instead of looking at i'm a four out of five today, but you look at the trend right? And you say, okay, over the past 30 days, your average was 3.5. And on these days where you had to do this particular kind of activity, let's say you love to swim, we're swimming for five hours that day, right? Um, You were way better, right? So now how that turns into a conclusion, I I don't know, right? We've got some very smart statisticians that can figure all that out. But the reality is it's called context, right? It is, you know, um, previously, the research that was done was you know very numerical or um, someone's opinion, like even if you go to a doctor's office to do some clinical re- trial research they they're saying hey go go take uh, go walk ten steps and walk back, and i'm going to grade you on a one to to ten scale how you did right I'm, I'm making it very simple it's not really that simple, but um, they would put a number in that has got some subjectivity to it right um, now. I can say, that the phone will say, hey, take 10 steps, walk that way and walk back, and it'll give a score. And it'll give the same score based on the same algorithm every time. And I do that every day, I'll see a very quantifiable score. I can also say, now here's where context gets fun. I'll say, go eat a piece of cake. And now take that 10-step walk, and we'll see what the data is like. You don't get that in one visit a month at the doctor's office during traditional research. Does that make sense? It does make sense,
0: yeah. And there is, uh, I can see what you're saying, there is a certain element of self-control in these systems that um, it isn't just based on one reading. Correct. Right? Yeah. Uh, Because the other thing in my mind was, well, if people are being asked to report readings Mm -hmm. on a device or on a scale or again, whatever it is, how can you depend on ordinary people to be, I think probably most people going into this want to be truthful, but then after a few days, the enthusiasm might wane a little bit, they might skip a reading and skew the end result of any particular research. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment.
1: Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy and happy? Yeah, so uh, I mean, there's there's the back end side of it where the, the 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 data kind of engineers and the statisticians can look for those those norms and and figure those out and apply them how they need to. But our job at at Thread is to make sure that the patient continues to be engaged, right? And so for the first time ever, these studies are. Um, more focused on what the patient experiences. Think about it. In the past, it was, hey, you know, I need you to come to the doctor's office today, um, or you know, in two weeks, and I'm going to run a series of tests on you. I'm going to ask you about a hundred questions, and you're going to have to remember what happened over the last month. But I'm sure you can. Um, and so, in certain populations, it's almost impossible. When I say certain populations, anyone in or in uh, in Los Angeles that has to go to the doctor's office, it's a two hour drive one way and back. Right? right? Forget like you know those that live in rural areas is and, and weather problems and, and health problems. And so by using telemedicine, using the sensors on the phone and giving people the ability to do it from the comfort of their home, they want to participate and in the research that we do typically the people that sign up they're incentivized either for their own personal health because that's what this is for or helping humanity so
0: and of course another negative of, of relying on old school research techniques is the sheer cost yeah. of, of doing that yeah. the, the the infrastructure involved and and you're by using the gadgets that we have right. all around us, right. you can you can see how that can get to the masses. Yeah. Just explain to us, I mentioned the phrase big data, and I can't really emphasize how valuable to science big data is. Yes,
1: it has been and will continue to be absolutely game-changing. And so if you look at kind of the different steps, there's the collecting of the data, then there's the storing of the data, and then there's the interpretation of the data. Um, and so I think all three places are going to need significant evolution to be able to get to answering every. Question: a Human biological question, but the reality is the. Uh, I, I read an article uh, not too long ago where um, AI and machine learning are starting to, you know, they're starting to, to to really push the edges on what um, kind of care should be di- given, right? Um, but one of the findings that was given in a, in one of these studies that where they really tested uh, the, these technologies to be able to predict and help was that. They called it their textbooks weren't good enough for them to come up with conclusions. And so as we collect the data and we get more data than those that are going to interpret and apply AI and machine learning to that data are only going to get better because their textbooks, the things, the data that they learn from is what's going to then power better Answers.
0: I'm curious in your own life, knowing what you do for a living and, and how you have this enthusiasm for, the, for yeah. the kind of work that you do. Do you take part in research? Have you ever generated any data for scientists?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I haven't. Um, and I don't know that there's really a particular reason for it. Um, I've been I've been blessed with uh, great health and great health around me. Um, however, uh, you know I'm very close to some that have gone through the say the clinical trial experience, and and those same people are the ones that are helping us trying to transform it and make it better for the, the patient um, because of some of the the challenges that they've gone through in the past doing it traditionally. So, yeah, interesting. But and but here's the th- thing th- philosophically, I'm happy to give any information to anybody at any time. I'm one of those who's like, hey take it all so
0: yeah absolutely and uh, obviously there's no judgment in the fact that oh, you, thank you you have to uh, take us <laughs> yeah. you know we we all do our own thing but um the other question that uh, kind of leads me on to is that uh, you're obviously interested in in research and scientists mm-hmm. and, and how they can i think discover things that are going to enhance our lives How do you live your life with longevity in mind? Is it something that you think about? Uh, I do. It's
1: actually probably a very uh, common philosophy, and that is balance. Uh, I really try to uh, balance my uh, physical, emotional, um, kind of spiritual health um, at the same time while making sure that my philosophy aligns with my actions. So – you know, a lot of people have these, have philosophies that don't align with their actions. Um, I am full of weakness. Let me just make sure that's crystal clear. Um, uh, But I absolutely work on um, minimizing all my vices. um, But at the same time, making sure that the activities I do are uh, good for the heart, mind and soul. So I would say that's, that's kind of my approach to it. Uh, But it's definitely a challenge and something that I work on
0: every day. Can I ask you what the biggest challenges are for you? Let me start with... And it can be as simple as ice cream.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) So uh, my biggest challenge, bar none... I like to have a, a Diet Coke or thirty-seven a day, so um, that is my challenge. Ah. It's my my only remaining vice. <laughs> so, but
0: well, if uh, that's the only remaining, I think you're, only you're remain- Doing quite well. So yes. you, you like the caffeine? Yeah, uh, I, I do. Yeah, yeah I
1: like caffeine. the taste. How's that?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's it's. I think for all of us, this is a work in progress. No, no doubt. Yeah.
1: Um, if you had asked me, you know, fifteen years ago, you would have gotten much different answers on um, my approach to health and taking care of my body. So I would say that you know, regular exercise this year, I actually, I joined Weight Watchers and uh, Orange Theory. And if you haven't heard of Orange Theory, it's this killer gym that does like this one hour workout and it kills you. It's like 30 minutes of, of cardio and 30 minutes of You know weight training. But at the end of the day, you've burned like 70,000 calories. Um, And so I've really taken that seriously um, and uh, try to take my health seriously this year. I've got a gaggle of kids that uh, I want to make sure that I'm around to be able to take care of. And uh, so my biggest responsibility is to be a father. And that's something I take very seriously.
0: That's interesting. And it's actually something I didn't prompt you to say that, but it's something that a lot of people say when asked what your motivation is to live as long and and as healthy as you can yeah vast majority of people that i've spoken to will bring up their children or their potential for having children and then maybe grandchildren as well and it's it's not just being around for you it's being around for them for them as as they get older but wanting to be around in a, a positive physical sense to be able to take part in sports and play with those children and uh, just be involved in their lives. Well,
1: I can tell right now that my kids are going to really need my guidance for the rest of their lives. They will argue with that all day long.
0: (laughs) Well, that's what kids do. Right, yeah. If um, anyone wants to find out more or get involved with what you do, Where should they go to? Yeah, a great
1: first place to start is our website. Um, So if you go to www.thread, like the string, so threadresearch.com, it has some very high-level information on what we do. Is it Uh, an
0: acronym for anything?
1: No, it's not. It's not. You know, we picked the word. We wanted a a kind of a a one-word statement. Um, And what happened is as soon as we found it, um, we have what's called the the thread syndrome, which is we see it everywhere now. Like it's a thread when you're talking about communications. It's a thread when you're talking about connecting things. It's a thread when you're talking about like different ways that computers process things. So that's kind of why we picked it. We really wanted to to have this name that, that meant a lot of things to a lot of different people. So.
0: Mm, interesting. Well, I'll, I'll put your details, website, etc. in the show notes for Excellent. this episode of the podcast. Really good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Hey, it was an absolute pleasure. And uh, as I say, if you want to go to our website, it's com. That's double L-A-M-A Podcast.com. I'll put those details And we have now produced more than 70 episodes. Uh, Last year we were also at the Body Computing Conference and you'll find those interviews. You can look at the index, you can search for body computing. They include Dr. David Albert, who's a pioneer in digital technology. Dr. Albert's interview is episode 39 at LamaPodcast.com. You might want to check that one out uh, as well as all of the other interviews that we did at last year's conference many thanks to everyone here at usc for your hospitality today and thank you for listening